0: 1 Corinthians chapter three. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal, and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, the ministers by whom ye believed? even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth Thereupon, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire." and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool, that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. Therefore let no man glory in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul, or Apollos, or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come. All are yours, and ye are Christ's, and Christ is God. Lord bless both the reading of His Word and the preaching of His Word this Lord's Day. <clears throat> if you have your Bibles and would like to follow along, our text this Lord's Day is from Proverbs twenty-four, sixteen, 16. Wherein we read these words, For a just man falleth seven times, and riseth up again but the wicked shall fall into mischief. There are many foes, dear ones, from without and foes from within that would bury you if they could. But God who cannot lie has promised to those who have been justified by faith that their faith cannot utterly fail when attacked by even the devil himself and all his demonic forces. Our foes may heat the furnace ten times hotter than normal, but the Lord Jesus Christ comes to uphold us and to uphold our faith right in the midst of that fiery trial, that our faith be not consumed in that fiery trial. Just as Christ told his disciples as they set out to cross the Sea of Galilee In Mark 4.35, let us pass over unto the other side. So he says to us who have been justified by faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ, let us pass over the sea of life, the sea of death, and enter into that heavenly kingdom. Though the winds of persecution, the waves of besetting sins, In our lives, the fears within our own heart, the afflictions and trials which we face may all seem to conspire together to drown us. In the raging sea of destruction, the sure word of our Savior sounds forth into our ears this day. Let us pass over to the other side. Peace. Be still. Dear one, he who brought peace to his disciples of old still brings peace of mind and peace of conscience to his disciples today for his promises are ever true and he is ever faithful to his promises. The Lord and his promises are absolutely immutable they cannot change. For he is immutable and cannot change. And thus, when we hear the promise found in our text this Lord's day, let our faith be united with the power and the faithfulness of God. For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. All the enemies which the devil may enlist to cast us into a pit of despair and hopelessness cannot. Yea, it is impossible to keep those who are justified down in a grave that utterly devours their faith in Jesus Christ. They will arise to do battle another day against the enemies of their soul, as certainly as the Lord Jesus Christ himself victoriously arose from the grave. Perhaps you have been brought ever so low recently by an affliction, a physical affliction, by an attack from others for your faith in Jesus Christ by a besetting sin by a fear by the death of a loved one and the enemy of your soul has tormented your conscience to such a degree that you ask where is the Lord in such pain and sorrow or have I sinned away all possibility of grace the God who cannot lie today encourages you with a promise that will not torment you but rather will torment your enemy and a promise that will renew your faith to soar with the eagles for a just man falleth seven times and rises up again let us consider together dear ones the following two points, main points from our text in Proverbs 24.16, first of all, the promise is made to the just. And second, the promise is that of perseverance. First main point, then, the promise is made to the just. In Proverbs, this term or this, this word seems to come up Time and time again, and we have talked about it many times in sermons as we've gone through the book of Proverbs, but I cannot, no matter how many times we've gone over that particular word and what it implies and what it means, I cannot lightly skip over it today. Who are the just to which this proverb refers? It is to the just and to the just alone to whom this promise is made. For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. First, let me tell you who the just before God are not. Are not. First, the just before God are not those who have reached a state of perfection in this life and no longer sin. God is not speaking of sinless individuals here when he speaks of the just. Short of Jesus Christ and those glorified saints in heaven, there are none who are without sin, not even infant children. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me, David says in Psalm 51.5. Solomon declares in Ecclesiastes 7.20, For there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. No, the just. And not those who have reached some state of perfection in this life. Second, the just before God are not those whose good works outweigh their bad works in this life. The popular mindset of most people today operates upon this false premise. However, God does not grade upon a curve, as if 51% good works is a passing grade and anything less is a failing grade. There was the only passing grade before an infinitely holy God is 100% good works, without exception. For we read in James two ten, hymn, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point he is guilty of all. That is, he is liable to the same punishment of eternal condemnation in breaking one of God's commandments as if he had broken the whole law. No, they are not just who, whose works, good works, outweigh their bad works either. Thirdly, the just before God are not those who consider themselves to be clean before God because they are sincere in what they believe. Or practice. Mere sincerity, as we learned last Lord's Day, is not sufficient to make one just before a holy God. For many will spend eternity in hell who are sincerely wrong. The broad way to hell is paved with sincere intentions, dear ones. For there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs 14.12 And then fourthly, the just before God are not those in whom righteousness has been infused at justification. The Roman Church falsely teaches that God makes the sinner just by infusing him with love, repentance, and new obedience or other such graces. But the heresy of Rome's position is that one is considered righteous by God not on the basis of Christ's righteousness, but on the basis of man's righteousness, which has been worked within him. And even if they declare, as they do, that that righteousness that's worked within them is based upon Christ's merit, it is still based upon something within them rather than upon something outside of them namely the righteousness of Christ. And that is condemned in the word of God as a false gospel. For we read in Romans 4, 5, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith, that is the object of his faith, namely Christ in his righteousness, is counted for Righteousness. There was all of these false ways to be just before God are doomed to failure and destruction for one reason. They all teach that man may be just before God because of something within him or something done by him, which is a false gospel. Well let us now consider who the just before God are, as mentioned here in Proverbs twenty four sixteen. Who are they? They are ungodly sinners who acknowledging and confessing the justness of God's sentence of eternal condemnation against them for their sin. Look in faith outside of themselves to Christ in his perfect righteousness. Alone is their only hope of being just before a holy God. Those who are just before God look entirely outside of themselves for righteousness. Outside of their graces. Outside of their righteousness. Outside of their own obedience. Outside of their good intentions. Outside of their baptism. And any other works which they have done, and rather embrace Jesus Christ and His holy nature. They embrace Jesus Christ and His holy desires. They embrace Jesus Christ in his holy words. And they embrace Jesus Christ in his holy actions as offered to them as their very own. As their very own. And godly sinners like you and me are once and for all forgiven all the tre- trespasses that we have committed, are committing, and shall commit. In the judicial courts of heaven by God and imputed the absolutely perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. And it is on the basis of that and that alone that God removes all condemnation. Not removes it for merely a moment from us, that condemnation. Not that He simply removes it as long as we're obeying Him but he removes it now and for all eternity from us. Because the Lord does not justify us because of who we are, but because of who Jesus Christ is. And That is the just man. That is the just woman. That is the just child here spoken of in Proverbs twenty-four, sixteen, Are you, who are gathered today, the just of whom God here speaks? Do you fall into that camp? You are the just, those who are justified before God? The Lord calls and invites all of the ungodly not all of those who consider themselves to be righteous in and of themselves, but he calls those who are ungodly, calls those who are sinners, unto himself to receive his righteousness today. O dear ones, do not your hearts today rejoice to hear the Lord declare, I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. and even to call the chief of sinners. Christ came into the world to save sinners, Paul said, of whom I am chief. Are you a sinner? If so, you and you alone have a divine warrant to come to Christ, that you might be just through him and have everlasting life. Are you even the chief of sinners? You'll not be turned away. For you too have the same divine warrant to come to Christ that you might be clothed with the garment of His perfect righteousness. you need not wait until you have shed enough tears or prayed long enough or beat yourself enough for all of your sins and wrongdoings, all of which have no power to save you anyway. If you hunger and thirst for Christ and for His righteousness, you're invited to come to the feast and live forevermore. You who do so or who have done so are the just that are here referred to in Proverbs twenty-four sixteen, when it says, For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. Well, let's consider the second main point, the promise, is that of perseverance. In what ways does a just man fall and rise again? I'm going to list three ways for you. A just man, first of all, falls when attacked and laid low by enemies who hate him. Note that Proverbs 24:16 begins with the word That is, because. Proverbs 24.16 is stating the reason why the wicked man in the previous verse, that is, in Proverbs 24.15, should not seek to overthrow the just man, the just woman, or the just child. Because a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. Thus we see that the very context tells us that enemies to our faith in Jesus Christ or to our practice of the truth in our families or in our church or in our country or in our neighborhood or in our workplace or on the internet will seek to devour the testimony and the witness of faithful covenanters. They will seek to devour our faith. But although such attacks may discourage or even dishearten us at times, the word of God says they will not bury us permanently. They cannot bury our faith in Jesus Christ. God will use even such attacks to raise that just one up to persevere in standing for the truth. So often it is the case, as it's been in my life perhaps the same in yours, that we learn to stand and to persevere in the faith committed to us by Jesus Christ because of the very persecution that is brought against us. The very persecution brought against us doesn't weaken us. Those who are just, it strengthens us. It encourages us with new faith. It may hurt It may dishearten, it may discourage for a brief period of time, but ultimately those who are just rise up again, renewed in faith and courage, to be better warriors for the Sacred than they were before. David had no doubt thoroughly instructed his son Solomon, the human author of this proverb, concerning his own experience in being persecuted by Saul, by Absalom. And many others for his faith in the Lord and the practice of the truth. When trapped in caves or surrounded by the enemy on various occasions, just when David appeared to have fallen into the hands of of his enemies, and just at the time that his testimony for the truth seemed to be entirely silenced, he arose, as it were, out of the jaws and the clutches of his enemies to proclaim again the faithfulness of God in delivering him from all of their evil schemes, plots, and plans. God raised David up seven times, if you will. Many times. Seven is taken figuratively for many times to persevere in trusting him for his deliverance. Remember the attempt of Joseph's brothers to bury him in a pit then to sell him into slavery, thinking that his testimony for the truth would be forever, out of their sight and out of their ears. God raised Joseph out of the pit. God raised Joseph out of slavery. God raised Joseph out of prison and placed him upon the throne of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God did not allow the enemies within Joseph's own family to quench, to silence, that divine gift of perseverance. Joseph continued, faithful and strong. But what about that justified woman, Hannah, who was persecuted day in and day out by the evil words of her rival who ridiculed her because she had no children? The Lord did not leave her to the evil designs of her rival and her persecutor, but raised her up from that pit and gave her a heart of persevering prayer the Lord himself graciously rewarded Hannah with three sons and two daughters. For consider the wicked scheme of Haman, who sought to bury Mordecai and his faithful testimony for the truth by having Mordecai hung and all of the Jews destroyed throughout all of the provinces of Persia. But God raised Mordecai from the plot of Haman and gave Mordecai the grace of perseverance as well so that he did not forsake the Lord even if it appeared that he and all his people would be destroyed. God rather brought the same mischief, the same mischief which Haman had planned against Mordecai and the Jews upon Haman's own head or should I say around Haman's own neck. And that's what the latter part of this verse says. But the wicked shall fall into mischief. They fall into their own evil designs and plans that they intended to catch the just man, woman, or child. We can never forget the plot of the Jews to crucify and bury Christ in his words of life in that tomb. But with resurrection, power, and glory, he arose signifying he was the Son of God. Signifying his payment for sin was sufficient for all of God's elect. Signifying that no punishment for sin could ever again touch the just man, woman, or child. Signifying finally that the sting of death itself had been removed once and for all for all of those who are justified in Jesus Christ. The disciples, you'll recall, fled persecution when Christ was betrayed by Judas. But that is not the end of the story. They fell seven times, as it were, but arose again to boldly testify of Christ and to courageously even lay down their lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. They fell significantly that that night. We'll talk about Peter in just a moment. they fell they took a hard fall but they got up again not in their own strength but because of the persevering grace of God which is given to everyone who is justified in the Lord Jesus Christ and dear ones even if we should be actually slain for our testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ as has been true of faithful witnesses for Christ in the past Our testimony for the truth cannot, underline the word cannot, it is impossible that that testimony for the truth be buried, even if we are ourselves buried. For it will live and come to life by the Spirit of God in the lives of other faithful witnesses, according to Revelation chapter 11, verses 7 through 13, where the two witnesses are slain for three and a half days, or three and a half years, which we believe is yet to come. Their their testimony for Christ seemingly is silenced. The whole world is rejoicing over the burial of these witnesses. They are passing out gifts. They're throwing a big celebration, a party that the witnesses are, are silenced. But the Lord causes their testimony to be raised again and faithful covenanters, those who testify thereafter. The testimony doesn't lie in that grave. So they, their bodies do. It comes alive again. Now that's a great encouragement. You can't, you may be able to kill us, you can't kill the truth. You can't destroy the truth. The Lord will use even the very blood of the martyrs the water and to bring forth a reformation thereafter. Therefore, in effect, God says in Proverbs twenty four sixteen, let the wicked hear and listen to Almighty God. You can try to bury the just man, but you will fail, O wicked man. For even if he should fall seven times due to your persecution, You cannot, O wicked man, win. You cannot be victorious over the just man. For the Lord will raise up the just in his testimony for the truth. God will cause the just man to persevere in the truth. The Lord will preserve the testimony of the just even in succeeding generations, whereas the testimony of the wicked will perish in the grave. In fact, you, O wicked man, will fall into the same pit which you have dug for the just man. Not a very encouraging word to the wicked, but a great promise to the just in Jesus Christ. Here it is promised the victory of every justified man, woman, or child in the doom of the wicked who would seek to silence them. And dear ones, even if no violence should follow our testimony for Christ. Men naturally, due to the corruption of their own hearts and their own self-deception, they hate the truth. And they hate those who faithfully proclaim it. And they try to figure out ways to silence the witnesses of Christ. Some try to do it by misrepresenting what we believe and what we practice. Some try to silence us by calling us uncharitable or ungodly names. Some try to do so by refusing to talk with us, hoping we in our testimony will simply just die out. Some try to silence us by substituting a lie or an error for the truth. Some, we are told in the prophetic scr- scriptures, will try to do so increasingly in the future, as has been done in the past by firing you from your job, fining you, casting you into prison, chasing you from one location to the next, splitting up your family, or even taking away your life. God promises that such persecution will not make the just man a coward, but will make him courageous. A second way in which a just man falls, not only by way of persecutors of the faith, those who persecute us, But I would suggest and offer to you there are two other ways which are not a part of the immediate context in which Solomon is writing but I think are important to mention nevertheless. The second way in which a just man falls is that a just man falls when laid low by various afflictions as we see in the life of Job. Job was buried in the grave of pain and sorrow and fear over the physical affliction brought into his life Satan's evil design, but by God's good, wise, and holy decree. Satan fought to take away Job's beloved children, Job's immense wealth, and finally, Job's good health, and thus bring Job to the point that he would curse God to his face and forever forsake the Lord. But the Lord raised Job up as well and granted to him in the midst of the loss of his children... The loss of his wealth, his riches, and the loss of his health, God granted to him a perseverance that would not allow him to curse the Lord and die. It is certainly true that Job, as we read through, was very discouraged, very disheartened by the trials and afflictions which he encountered. There were even doubts that rose in Job's heart as he went through this trial of his faith. And yet God preserved him, and his faith did not fail. Even his, if his faith faltered, it did not fail. His faith remained firmly fixed in the Lord who had raised him up on that final day. Dear ones, although you seem buried with chronic pain, with the loss of a loved one or of your job, or of your home, your earthly possessions, the Lord promises He will raise you up. He will raise you up. He will give you the grace of perseverance, even when it seems as though you cannot go on another day. Just as Job seems buried in his affliction but was raised up in perseverance, so will you be. The seed of faith, although buried at times, will be very much alive in your life at all times if you are just, if you are justified in Jesus Christ and clinging alone to his righteousness. Thus the Lord promises to those who are justified by faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ, and who go through severe times of pain, chronic pain, loss of family, children, the loss of a job and wealthy riches. For the just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. It can't, it can't keep him down. And then thirdly, a just man falls not only when under great attack by persecutors not only when experiencing extreme affliction chronic pain the loss of family or possessions but a just man may fall when ensnared by besetting sins and by a tormenting conscience what better example of such a fall than that of Peter in denying the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter, one of the inner three of Christ's disciples. Peter who witnessed the power of the Lord Jesus Christ in raising the dead and multiplying the bread and the fishes and turning the water into wine and even seeing the Lord transformed before his very eyes. Peter The one who replied after the Lord had said to him, or to all the disciples, are you going to forsake me like all of these have? Referring to multitudes who had forsaken him. Peter stands up and he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ the Son of the living God. This Peter, this very same Peter, a leader among the apostles of Christ, fell flat on his face and terribly denying the Lord in whom he believed and whom he loved. Although he proudly proclaimed that he would never forsake the Lord and would even lay down his life for the Lord, fear overwhelmed him at that precise moment. And he denied his Lord, not just one time, but three times. What's interesting is that this was prophesied to happen by the Lord Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 32. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Now notice Peter's response. I'll just continue reading for a couple more verses. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. <clears throat> I want you to know very carefully how Christ promises here that Peter's faith would not fail. Although it may falter, it would not utterly fail, it could not utterly fail, for God is the one who graciously bestows upon Peter here at all times and upon us as well, those of us who are justified in Jesus Christ, the grace of perseverance. Notice what Christ says. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. And in effect, the Lord Jesus is Peter, Satan has requested permission to put you through a fiery furnace. To put you through, as it were, a meat grinder. To seek to destroy you altogether in your faith. And he has been granted permission by God just as in Job's case. He has been granted permission by God to go this far and no further to put you into this trial. Shows the fact that Satan is not unlimited in power and authority. That God is omnipotent. That God is sovereign. If Satan must even seek permission to do whatever he does to one of the saints. Obviously, if God allows Satan to do something of that nature, God has in mind something very profitable and beneficial for the saint, for the one who is justified in Jesus Christ in going through that trial. He would not permit one of us whom he loves to go through a trial that he did not intend by it to perfect us to use it to strengthen us, to grow us in the grace and knowledge of Christ, to make us strong. Notice what Christ says, but I have prayed for thee. The intercessory prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ, who ever liveth to make his intercession for us, is continually praying that our faith not fail. Not only do we have the love of God which cannot be broken. God didn't save us and He didn't love us because we were holy and righteous in the first place. He knew the worst about us. Nothing surprises Him. Why did He declare us righteous in the first place? The love of God will never let us go. The covenant of God in which Jesus Christ has secured upon the cross Our salvation from beginning to end. And God promised if Jesus Christ would fulfill the demands of that covenant of grace in securing our redemption, the Lord would grant our salvation. And not one would be lost on the basis of that covenant. Upon the basis of the faithfulness of God to keep his own word. Not only is his word sufficient, but he has taken an oath. God has himself taken an oath, oath to uphold his own word. God cannot lie in and of itself. God, it's impossible that he should lie. And yet, to confirm our faith, he takes a, an oath that he will uphold his word. He swears by himself. There is no one higher that he can swear by. And on the basis of Christ's intercessory prayer we are upheld and cannot fall though we fall into sin as Peter did though we grow greatly discouraged and though we even ask ourselves at times how could I be saved in light of what I have done the Lord upholds his own the Lord causes those who fall seven times in the same day into that same besetting sin over and over again due to their weakness. The Lord promises they are not going to remain there. For I will cause them to rise again. They will stand. Even as Christ promises Peter, I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And he doesn't say, if the, and if thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. He says, and when thou art converted. When thou art not saved all over again in the sense of converted, but when thou hast turned again to renew thy faith in me, when thou hast come back from having fallen into this sin, go forth and strengthen thy brethren. The Lord wants to use even our besetting sins, what we have gone through in our lives, to strengthen others, to encourage others, to let others know of the Persevering grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that God doesn't forsake His own. When we talk about perseverance, and I come to the conclusion at this time, when we talk about perseverance of the saints, I want you to realize we're not talking about, and we do not believe in the Arminian doctrine of eternal security, or once saved, always saved that is not what we refer to. What we refer to is that God causes His own people, those who are justified in the Lord Jesus Christ to persevere in faith, they do not continue to live in sin. They may fall into sin, but they do not continue to live in an unrepentant state in that sin. But they desire to To be restored and fall again as they may, they stand again to persevere, to return to the Lord, to be restored to the Lord, to go forth and bear fruit for the Lord. And so I want you to know that it's not your strength that causes you to persevere, but dependent upon you, you would fall. Seven times, and stay right there. But it is because of the power, the faithfulness, and the grace of Christ that you rise up again. Your victory, dear ones, is assured in Christ, who has already overcome that sin, that besetting sin into which you have fallen seven times. He's overcome it by his death and his resurrection. It is not the size of your faith nor the strength of your faith that causes you to persevere in trusting alone for your justification and sanctification in Christ Jesus. It is the... ...to say to the Lord our God will never leave us nor forsake us but will cause us to rise again that we fall seven times. Please stand with me in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we do praise thee and thank thee this day for the promise that is found in thy word, that the just man falleth seven times but riseth up again. How we thank thee, our Father, that in the covenant of grace not only hast thou included our justification, that Thou hast also included our perseverance. And now we thank Thee, our Father, that in fact our, our perseverance is founded upon our justification. Our sanctification is founded upon our justification. And, O oh Lord, we will continue to struggle. We will continue, O oh Lord our God, though we may be truly justified to, to uh, struggle with doubts and concerns if we do not properly understand our justification. But, Father, how can we overcome sin in our life? How can we reach that point if we're having to continue to return to square one and think that we need to be justified all over again? Help us, Father, therefore, to rejoice in our justification that we may, in fact, rejoice in our sanctification, that we may rejoice in our perseverance in the faith committed to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
1: This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. T-6-L-3-T-5 You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7:31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions,